My brother came to see me this week. In fact, he's over at the house now and he's not doing too well. I was thinking about all of the things that had gone on in my life with him. And now I see that he can hardly walk. I see that he's getting ready to make another journey as this life ends. And I'm thinking today as I'm talking about our family, the church. You see, when my brother leaves this earth, we will no longer be family. But when you and I leave this earth, we will still be family. The family relationship physically ends at death. But the spiritual family goes on for eternity. And will we know each other there? I believe so. And I think we will look back at this life and think, that's kind of funny. But we have finally come to the place that we understand love in its fullest and understand that everything that has happened is right. And God makes it right. In 1 John, the third chapter, and it was excellently read this morning by our visitor, there's an awful lot here. He said, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and violently murdered his brother. And for what reason did he violently murder him? Because his deeds were evil and the deeds of his brother were righteous. Do not marvel, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed over from death to life because we love the brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that every murderer does not have eternal life residing in him. We have come to know the love by this, that he laid down his life on behalf of us, and we ought to lay down our lives on behalf of the brothers. But whoever has the world's material possessions and observes his brother in need and shuts his heart against him, how does the love of God reside in him? Little children, let us love with word or with let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So as you think about this, he is setting forth something that is very, very powerful. A woman that I read about went to church. She was surprised because another woman that seemed to detest her and didn't like her in any way and snubbed her most of the time came up and threw her arms around her and gave her a big hug. She was so th thrilled about it and she didn't know what to do. She couldn't understand it until she heard the preacher and the lady talking. And the lady said, I did my assignment this week. What do I do next week? And he said, the assignment is the same. Find somebody that you can't stand and give them a big hug. Love is a lot more complicated than just going up and giving somebody a hug. It takes a lot of works, and it takes a lot of hard work. Even in a regular family, it takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of work in the church family. The church family has to work because we are aggravating people. I don't know whether you realize that or not, but we're aggravating. Every one of us has certain things that aggravate the other. If you look in your family, uh, Dottie knows what it is to be aggravated by somebody, and Ray aggravates her at times, but it requires a lot of hard work. And members sometimes do not want to put that kind of work in. 
What it requires is putting that other person ahead of yourself. And this is exactly what Jesus did as he shows us what love is. In the Old Testament, we get kind of a wrong idea about God as we see all of the interactions he had. And then Jesus comes and said, I want to show you what God's really like. And he displayed for us what love is and what grace is and what what, how we're to treat one another and how we're to judge one another. And all of this he shows in his life. Nature has shown us to be selfish. One of the things that you will notice, we live in a society today that is very selfish. And when we come into the world, we are crying and we are wanting somebody to take care of us. When we go down the road, we are upset because somebody's in our lane. Somebody's in our highway. Somebody's in our way. We are ever being taught to be selfish. And this is why John exhorts the family, I want you to love one another. John, if you will remember, was known as one of the sons of thunder. And he was the kind of an individual, when he left town, everybody was happy. He was the kind of individual that you didn't like to be around because he is so critical and he judged everything right away. In fact, one time with Jesus, he said, let's let's just call down some fire from heaven to destroy these people. And Jesus said, we don't do it that way. So he was a fellow that was really angry at other people all the time. And then he met Jesus and got to know Jesus and it changed him completely and he became known as the loving disciple, the loving one that followed Jesus and clung to Jesus. And Jesus said that this is the disciple that he loved in a special way. And so he changed and people loved to be around him. In his old age, when he got so old that he couldn't get up hardly, They would carry him into the service and they would at the end, out of respect for John, they would ask him to make some kind of comment to the church and they would help him up off of the pallet that he was laying on and he would stand and he would say, little children love one another and somebody got tired of that and they asked him, Why he always said the same thing. Could he not say something else? And he said, I say this because this is the Lord's command. And it is enough if you do it. I don't think that we recognize we fall in love with the church, but we don't fall in love with Jesus. We fall in love with our ceremonies, but we don't fall in love with Jesus. We fall in love with all kinds of things but we don't fall in love with Jesus. And he is saying, I want you to get back with each other. Look at each other in a different way than you have looked at them before. And recognize that they are very special. I want you to think in five times in John, 1 John as he writes, he commands us to love one another. In 1 John 3, 11, he said, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginnings, that we should love one another. 
Then a little later on in 1 John 3, 23, says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. And then in 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. Command is so serious that he gives us a warning. And that warning in 1 John 4, 11, if God loved us on this way, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God resides in us and his love is perfected in us. And the warning comes then and says, if you don't love, you're going to lose your soul. So this is serious. You know, when you try to define love, it's a very hard thing to do, isn't it? And I think I said this before, but I, somebody asked, what is love? And a little child was asked that. What is love? Can you tell the difference between kindness and love? And the little kid says, of course I can tell the difference. Kindness is when my mother puts peanut butter on my bread and loves when she adds the jelly. Well, that's a pretty good definition, but I think it goes even different than that. It goes deeper than that. Love is so powerful. And when you think about loving somebody, I'm going to tell you, I think we get the wrong, wrong idea. Love is an overused word. We love everything from our dog to mashed potatoes. Love, love, love. Everybody's talking about love. And if you go to a record store, all of her songs just about are about love. Love, love, love. Everybody's talking about love. But very few people understand love. One woman wrote to a fellow that she had broken up with. In fact, she was engaged to him. And here was her letter. Dearest Ben, no words can ever express the great unhappiness I've had or I've felt since breaking our engagement. Please say that you will take me back. No one could take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Betty. P.S. Congratulations on winning the state lottery. <laughs> what does it mean to love? That's a question. And Jesus is going to tell us really, biblical love fulfills the command. But before that, it tells us that love seeks the highest good for that other person. In other words, I want you to be everything that you can possibly be, and I want to help you get to that goal. I want you to be successful in every area in your life. And if I have anything to do about it, I'm going to see to it that I can help you get to that goal, whether it be education or whether it be in the service of the Lord, in the church, 
Whatever it is, my ideal is for you to be everything you can possibly be. Now, it's not without feeling. It is a caring commitment to that other person that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one that is loved. Caring commitment. Now, isn't that the way you start a, a marriage? A caring commitment. Isn't that what you have when that person that looked so lovely when they were young? I think Dottie said it well last night. She said, when I got married, I never expected we would be here. You know, when we got married, I only had five years to live. And this, then disappointingly, I kept going. <laughs> but that commitment that when that beautiful skin turns to wrinkles, when that beautiful hair turns white, whenever you can no longer hardly walk, whenever old age has taken you, when other people cannot see anything attractive, your wife or your husband says, you're beautiful. That's what love's about. That's what love's about. Dion is aggravating as he can be. He is a beautiful person. He's married to even a more beautiful person. But one of the things that we notice as we look at each other, we say, you know what? This is as close as I can get to Jesus Christ. Christ lives in people. We look up here, we ought to be looking here. And he is teaching us over and over and over that this is about that other person because together you can do anything and that commitment to one another is what's going to take you through. It involves not just duty, it's not just an attitude that we go through. It's an action. It's something that we do. So many people, you know, they're in love with Jesus Christ. They're in love with an idea. They're in love with the miracles. That he, they're in love, but they're not committed to him. And that's so with each other. We love each other until you do something that I don't like, and then we're not committed to each other anymore. Love says, I am committed to you. You may head off and be the worst person in the world, and it may break my heart, but I'm always there loving you. It's like your children. You know what? I have somebody in a family that is doing something so terribly wrong. Not in my immediate family here, but something that is doing something so terribly wrong, and I love them. And I can't rescue them. And that puts a heartache in your heart. That's what happens in the church when people start leaving the Lord, start leaving the church, start, start grumbling about each other. It breaks your heart. And you want to get it corrected. Now certainly we take care of the basic needs of a person. Also we need to get into that other person's spirituality. 
And spirituality, as John's class said this morning, spirituality is taking those words of Christ, letting them come alive in you to where that is what is expressed in the deeds that we do. When that really lives in you, all of a sudden we can really benefit other people. This is kind of a hospital. We're all sick. And we're here to help each other try to get well. And that's what the church is about a lot. lot, uh, lot. But biblical love fulfills the command of Christ. In 1 John 3.11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, if I know what I should do, that's one thing, but the other thing is doing it. Because remember, if you're going to love somebody, it's going to take a lot of work. And taking that lot of work takes time. That's the most valuable thing that we have. It takes time. The reason why people get irritated is because it takes their time. We are creatures of time. We are mad at people because they're too slow upon the freeway and they're taking my time. I've got to get there fast, 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 so I may get there two minutes before they do, and I'm aggravated because they're in my way. I want us to remember that love originates with God. It does not originate within your heart. It originates with God. Somebody can say that they love and curse. course. You know what? When your children are born, you have to love them. It's not because they're so great. It's because they were given to you and you're just stuck with them and you're proud of them and so on and so you love them. But you know what? That's something that uh, God says a little later on. He says that we're to teach, the older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husband and love their children. You know what that means? It means you don't really know how to love them. We have our great feeling. We look at them and they say, that's my little child and oh, I love them and oh, I... But are you doing what's really best for them? When you truly love them, you overlook the cuteness, you overlook these things and say, I'm going to do what is best for that child. That's love. And that's what we do with each other. We look and we say, you know what? Jeff Berg is just the nicest guy. But do we really care about him spiritually? It's easy to like, love people that you like, but what about those people that they're, they're so irritating that you just can't hardly stand it? I even love Gary Bruchetta. <laughs> you even love my brother. That's hard. How do we show God and others that Christianity is a true reality? And when I'm talking about reality, I'm saying the absolute truth. And all of the sermons in the world will not do as much as what Jesus said and how to show it. In John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now let me ask you a question right there. Do you think that Peter could get on the last nerve of Jesus? Peter was an aggravating fellow. Oh, I mean, he was impetuous. He could he'd jump up with... And then he could deny the Lord just like that. And yet, Jesus said, just as I've loved you, I want you to love one another. By this, 
everyone shall know, will know that you are my disciples. Now, Don is stupid. How do you think that sounds to people out in the world? For me to call my brother stupid says they don't really love each other. Don, you're not stupid. I was just trying to get the shock over, okay. They'll know if you have love one for another. Let me ask you this question, just in your family. How do you know, as you look at people's marriages, that they really love each other? Now, isn't that where you start? You start with self, you move to your family, then you move out into the church, and then you move into the community to where they recognize in the church, as we look at each other, how do we know that you truly have a real significant marriage? And it's by how you treat one another. It's by what you do with each other. And it becomes evident to other people that you must love each other. Are they aggravating? Yes. But they love each other. One thing is evident, they have a good marriage. So many people don't have a good marriage. They go to church every Sunday. They give in, in, and they take the Lord's Supper. They do all those things, but they have a lousy marriage. Something is wrong, and what is wrong is that they are not applying the Word of God, and they're not working at their marriage. When you have a church that's so dysfunctional, it says a world of hatred goes on in that congregation. So he says, this is how you know how do people see us in Port Wyneme? Are we a loving congregation? Do we really love each other? Will we do anything for you? If you're really in need, will we do help you in that need, and especially the spiritual needs that you have? Do you think that it might break God's heart when we don't love each other? Now that in itself tells me that if I break God's heart, and He is the most important one in my life, that I am so ashamed that I make a decision to correct that. Not liking one another is inconsistent with Jesus. And the other thing that love does, it assures us the salvation. In 1 John 3.16, and in fact I use 3.14.15, but we know that we have passed over from death to life because we love the brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that every murderer does not have eternal life residing in him. Let me say this to you. When you say, I don't like that other person, Let's be able to make this distinction. I may not like the other person's personality, and I may not like the other person's actions, but I love that person and will try to help them if the personality or actions are sinful. If they're not sinful, then forget about it. Don't worry about it and just love the person. You say, well, I can't help what I feel. Baloney. That is the biggest bunch of junk that I've ever heard. I can't help how I feel. Have you ever wanted to strangle one of your kids? I have. But my love 
constrain me. You know, John doesn't use any pastel colors here. No shades of gray. And that's what people say, well, I just don't like them. I don't like to be around them. Why not? Well, I don't like their personality. Okay. What's that got to do with anything? What does that have to do with anything? And do you think we might have that problem here in this congregation? If you don't think that, you're wrong. We do. You say, well, I don't see it. The people that have it do. I'll guarantee you. You are either spiritually alive or you're dead. And you're either a child of God or you're a child of Satan. Either you're a believer or a non-believer. There's not any in between. Let me be clear. Being a Christian is not earned by loving one another. Loving the family is proof that you are alive in Christ. That's how I prove that I'm alive in Christ. I look at you, and in spite of all these things, and this is one of the things that my wife just hates, is somebody to say, in spite of your faults. But that's true. How many of you don't have faults? Dion doesn't have any faults. Oh. It is hard for an imperfect person to live with a perfect person. So, Sheila, we are in sympathy with you. This is so important. It's so deep. People say, I want to get more depth in the Word of God. I'm going to tell you, we passed beyond the simple meat. We're down chewing on the bone when you get down to loving. Isn't that what the depths of something is, is you get past the just reading it and just past getting memorizing it, and then you get it down into you, and I start practicing that. And practicing means that I haven't completely perfected it, but I'm working at it. You need to remember, we, if you belong to Christ, we belong to one another. So we need to take the excuses away. You remember we did a thing on being guided by our feelings? When you are guided by your feelings, you cannot see what you are supposed to see. Therefore, we overlook. I remember when my children were growing up, one of the things, when they got so old, they were supposed to walk. And they'd try to take a step and fall down. And I'd always kick them and say, you know, you, you ought to be able to walk. And John had so many bruises from being kicked. No, you're patient with them, right? Why can't we do that with one another? You know what? Whenever you get these things, that's just the way that I am. When you get that, it's hard to be trained out of that. He is pointing out something that is so important. Maturity means that I've overcome being directed by feelings. That's what maturity is. Maturity is I approach this and I recognize there's things wrong. 
But I also recognize that I'm an adult and that I am to do this. Have you ever noticed parents fighting back and forth with their children? You've got two immature people fighting. A mature parent says, look, I'm in charge. This is the way it's going to be, and that's how it is. A mature person in the church says, this is the way Jesus says it's to be. That's how it's going to be, and that's what we're going to practice. That's pretty simple, isn't it? We have given up the choices when we become Christians. Christ is going to direct us. Now, I want you to understand that that's the way the church is going to be run. The church is going to be run upon the basis of this is what he said, this is what we're going to do. And that works great in a church while we are assembled. But it's not working when we're not. Get my point today. Love is illustrated by sacrifice. In 1 John 3, 16, we have come to know love by this, that he laid down his life on behalf of us, and we ought to lay down our lives on behalf of the brothers. Would you really die for your brother here in this church? Would you really do it? Oh, that's easy until they say, which one do we kill? Which one do we kill? Well, kill John. And this, Jesus shows something that is so important. That love is beyond an emotion. It is the doing of the deed that is important. Emotionally, he didn't want to go to the cross. Emotionally, he said, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Emotionally, he sweated as it were, were drops of blood. Emotionally, you would want to hate those that are beating and spitting in your face. But Jesus said, I'm not about emotions. I am about loving and extending the grace of God, and I've come to declare his name to you, and I want you to pick up and get the mind of Christ so that you can truly love one another and be free of all of this junk that is in people's lives. He showed love by the way that he lived, and he never showed hatred or malice. He only got angry over injustice. That's when he really got upset. When something is unjust, he was upset about it. He went out of his way to help others that most people hated. He crossed ra racial, cultural, and geographical boundaries to care for people. And he reached out to the unlovely. Jesus reached out his arms and said, this is how much I love you. Does this mean that I must make the ultimate sacrifice to show my love? Sometimes, but usually, biblical love is demonstrated by the actions. Actions that are personal and practical. 
Oh, I love when I stand at the back door or the front door. I don't know which that is. To me, it's the back door. But to you, when you're coming in, it's the front door. But when I stand back there or up there, whichever it is, it's wonderful to hear somebody say, that was a good sermon. But what about those that say, I didn't like that sermon very much. I don't like you much. <laughs> That's not the way it works, is it? Jesus puts it like this. 1 John three sixteen through 18, We have come to know love by this, that he laid down his life on behalf of us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But whoever has this world's material possessions and observes his brother in need and shuts his heart against him, how does the love of God reside in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Now, what I need to do is reverse that just a little bit and say this. First of all, I want to know how to love you. And God tells me it's by the commandments. And then I want to look at my motives of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it's because I love Jesus and Jesus has directed me to love you and I love you and now I'm going to show you that I love you by carrying out what Jesus commanded me to do. When you get that going, you can say, I love. But I, I feel like that person, I don't care about your feelings. Are you going to demonstrate that love? And so here's your assignment this week. Take somebody that you can't stand and give them a hug. That's the way I started. This is daily caring. Daily caring about that person. And make it individual. You know what? It's easy to love the church. It's just hard to love that one individual in the church. Make it individual. That would be my assignment. That one person I can't stand, I'm going to make it to where I am going to love that person. And it's easier to love mankind than it is to love that guy right next door. That's just true. And it's easier to love the church more than it is easier to love the one that sits across the aisle from you. The church sometimes is like, how many of you remember Winston Churchill? Winston Churchill and Lady Astor did not get along at all. They couldn't stand each other. And it reminds me of some church members. Lady Astor one day said to him, if I were your wife, I'd have to put arsenic in your beer. And Winston Churchill said, if you were my wife, I would drink it. <laughs> On another occasion, Lady Astor stared glaringly at Winston. And she said, sir, you are quite drunk. And Churchill replied, madam, I may be quite drunk, 
you are quite ugly. And tomorrow morning I will be sober. We all have people. We do not like their ways nor their personality. What do we do? We love them anyway. To love in word means to talk about the need that they have. To talk about the pain that they're having. To talk about really caring. And to love indeed means that I'm going to do everything to take care of that need. To, mid, to love means I'm going to get my hands dirty, my feet dusty, and a heart engaged with you. If you're here this morning and you're not living that kind of life, we invite you to come to Christ and let him direct your heart in what you're going to do. If you've never obeyed the gospel, we're here to study with you, to pray with you, to help you, to find the way to God by looking at the word of God. Won't you come? All together we stand and sing.